We are on Ksubis, Chavches, Omer Aleph, 28A3 in the Art Scroll Gemara as we begin the last Mishnah of this parak, the last Mishnah of this chapter. Um, and then we will begin next week the third chapter, the third parak. So this Mishnah says, it continues on with the discussion of who is allowed to testify, who is not allowed to testify, uh, who has the status of a witness essentially, uh, so says the Mishnah, The following people are able to testify uh, as adults. They have to be adults. That which they saw when they were minors, when they were under the age of 13. Uh, so they're not testifying when they are 13, uh, under the age of 13. They're testifying above the age of 13. However, they're testifying about something that they saw when they were under the age of 13. Um, now, to take a step back, we will see uh, that the list in this Mishnah, the Gemara will say this explicitly, that the list in the Mishnah includes and is limited to only cases which have rabbinic, on a rabbinic level, has an impact on a rabbinic level. If it's anything which is on a biblical level, so then this would not work. This would not work at all. Uh, you would have to only testify about things which you saw as an adult, above the age of 13. When it comes to rabbinic things, uh, rabbinic ramifications, so then uh, we will believe you, at least for, with regards to these cases, we'll believe you um, to testify when you're an adult, above the age of 13, about something which happened when you were under the age of 13. The question is, why? Why are you not believed on a biblical level? Why aren't you not believed on a biblical level? Even if we say that you're not allowed to testify as a minor, still, why can't they testify as an adult about something which happened when I was a minor? So this is a very, very big discussion. There's really uh, two different opinions here, drastically different opinions. One opinion says that uh, in general, when a person testifies, they have to be kosher. They have to be uh, halakhically valid witnesses, both at the time in which it occurred and when they are testifying. At both times, both when they saw the event and when they're testifying, they have to be halakhically valid witnesses. Uh, that's one approach. The other approach is that no, not necessarily... In these cases, it's true that in some cases, this is a concept which is found elsewhere, that you have to be you have to be both at the time that you saw the uh, witness the event and at the time that you testify, you have to be halakhically, a halakhically valid witness. But it's not true in all cases. It's limited to certain cases, which we don't have time to get into, which cases does this apply to, which case doesn't it apply to. But according to this uh, second school of thought, the reason why is because we don't can't believe you on a biblical level because... We're just concerned that uh, as a minor, you're not in tune with all the details. You're not going to be completely accurate to the level that halacha requires. And so therefore, you're not able to testify as, a, as an adult about something which happened when you were a child. Now, on a rabbinic level, when it comes to rabbinic issues and ramifications on a rabbinic level, it's actually interesting because there are actually even cases where we accept uh, a, a minor's a testimony that a minor is in fact believed to speak as a minor under the age of 13. We will believe the minor in certain cases if it's on a rabbinic level. So one of those cases is actually timely. has to do with bitikas chametz, checking for chametz, and that we believe them to say that we looked into this room and there was no chametz in this room. Uh, and so therefore it's good to go with regards to Pesach. Um, so in that case, we actually do believe them. Why do we believe them in that case? Uh, there are different reasons, either because it's in his control, let's say, to get rid of the chametz, so uh, we'll believe them, or perhaps 
because this is something which is, involves a lot of people. It's a yearly event, so people know about it. So the, the child's not going to mess up. The child will know exactly what to do. We're not concerned that the, the minor will be ignoring some aspects of this because this is something which the entire Jewish community does uh, on, a yearly, um, on a yearly basis. Uh, but so it's really limited to those cases. With regards to other cases on a rabbinic level, we only believe them when they're testifying as an adult above the age of 13. But if it's, it only has rabbinic ramifications, we will believe them even with regards to testimony that they say that they saw when they were, uh, when they were under the age of 13. So what does that include? What's the list? What, is that, what does that include exactly? So number one, Kim Shtaros, we had this concept earlier that if you have a document and that there's some question about the validity of that document, so then we uh, have to have people testify about the signatures of the witnesses. So the, this person is allowed to testify by the fact that they recognize the signature of the witness. They could say, They're believed to say that this is the handwriting of my father. My father was the one who uh, is uh, signed on this uh, document was a witness, or this is the handwriting of my teacher, my Rebbe, or this is the handwriting of my brother. Uh, we'll see that uh, why each case you need, uh, uh, it's necessary to teach us uh, one case after the next. Uh, but the point is they're allowed to testify, even though they only saw the handwriting when they were a, uh, a minor under the age of 13, but they could still testify about it. Okay, that's case number one. Case number two they could testify about the fact that they remember something that happened at a wedding. If you recall, at a wedding, this is a good review for Ksubis. At a wedding, there's a big difference whether or not uh, he is marrying a besula, a virgin or a non-virgin. It impacts the amount that she receives in the Ksuba document when the marriage ends, either when the husband dies or when they get divorced. Uh, so there are major ramifications whether she is a ksuba, she's a besula or not. And at the wedding itself, they would have different customs depending on whether or not this was a wedding for a besula, for a virgin, or for a non-virgin. And so a person is allowed to say, They could say that, They could say that, I'm testifying that when I was a child, when I was a minor, that we went to somebody's wedding, and she was wearing the veil, and her hair was, was, uh, was uncovered, and so therefore these are signs that she's really a besula, a virgin, and she, she, she should receive the the 200, she should receive the higher amount in the actual Ksuba document. So they're believed for that as well. Case number three, they're believed basically to say that somebody is a Kohen. How? That we saw that there was, uh, when we were in school together, that uh, this person uh, ate Truma. If they ate Truma, that means they're a Kohen. And also, that they, he would be part of the dividing up, when they would divide up the truma, they would give it to the, to the Kohanim. And this person was there, I remember when I was a minor, that this person was there when they divided up the truma. Uh, so you believe for that, to say that this person is a Kohen. Next case, uh, to say that a certain place is a base hapras. Uh, to say essentially that, uh, this is somehow the commentators explain it, that uh, there's a certain uh, field where we're, we're not sure if uh, somebody was buried there, or even if we know that somebody was buried there, but they, they plowed over it, so we don't know where the bones are. This has to do with ramifications with regards to the laws of purity and impurity. So a person is believed to say that uh, this is where it ends, uh, and beyond this uh, part of the field, there's no concern. Because this is what we knew when we were growing up. A person is believed to say that. 
And the, the Gemara will embellish on many of these cases. Shabbos, a person has also believed that there's a concept on Shabbos that you're not allowed to walk on a rabbinic level. These are all rabbinic concerns, as we'll see in the Gemara. A person cannot walk more than 2,000 amos beyond uh, the city limits. If you have a city and there's uh, the end to a city, uh, so then you can walk. You're, you're limited in how much you can walk. That's on a rabbinic level. So a person is believed to say that, we, I remember as a child, we were only able to walk up until this point, a specific point. So they believe for that. However, the following cases they're not believed on. Basically, monetary issues, which are biblical issues. To say that the following path belongs to somebody or that the following standing spot or eulogizing spot, uh, 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 an area with, which they would own when it came to making eulogies for, uh, for their relatives. Uh, basically, they're all monetary claims. They're not believed for this because this is on a biblical level um, and uh, it has a biblical ramifications. So they're not believed with regards to the monetary issues. But all these other cases in the Mishnah, they're believed for because, simply because, it has ramifications only on a rabbinic level. Okay. So says the Gemara. The Gemara will discuss many of these cases. It says the Gemara, Any of these cases which require two witnesses in general, in Jewish law we require two witnesses. There are exceptions to the rule, like uh, deciding whether or not somebody's a Kohen or not. Uh, that is, uh, we believe, one witness. Um, so there are other cases where we believe one witness. Uh, but in the cases where we believe two witnesses, while it's true that the Mishnah said you're believed to say that you witnessed something uh, that happened to you when you were a minor, when you were under the age of 13, but the other witness has to be somebody who is a complete gadol, who is testifying about something that they saw when they were an adult, above the age of 13. We cannot have it, says the Gemara. We cannot have it that both witnesses are testifying about something which happened to both of them when they were under the age of 13. That can't be. One of them has to be testifying about something which they saw above the age of 13. Okay, that's the opening line. Now the Gemara says, why do I need all three cases when we go back to Kim Shtaros, the case of uh, verifying a signature to make sure that the document is a valid halachic uh, legal document. So why does it say that the person is believed to say that they saw the signatures when they were a child of their father and of their teacher, their rebbe, and of their brother? Why do we need all three cases? If I only had the father's case, I would might have thought that it's limited to a father because you're always around the father, so it's uh, you know you know your father's signature. But the the teacher, you're not always you don't live in the home of the teacher. You're not around them as much, and so therefore you wouldn't be believed. On the flip side as well, Vishman and Rabbo. If I only had the case of the teacher of the Rebbe, Mishim Dislay aims to the Rabbe of 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 So there's two ways to understand this. One way is that uh, because when it comes to the teacher, maybe the teacher you would be. Uh, Having being very careful about the signature of the teacher, either because uh, you a person uh, it's 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 common for the student to want to copy the teacher and to uh, for good reasons to emulate the teacher and so therefore with regards to all aspects even with regards to their signature so they'll, therefore they'll be focused on the teacher's signature. Alternatively, it can mean that when they testify, they have this fear of their teacher because they know that they don't want to upset their teacher. And so therefore, they're gonna, if they testify, that means they know it with certainty, that they are, are almost certainty that this is, this is uh, the right person. This is his Rebbe. This is his teacher. If we have, and so therefore, maybe you'll be believed with regards to the teacher, but not with regards to your father. Your father, you don't have that same level of, of fear, really, uh, which is interesting. Let's say we had the first two cases of the Mishnah. 
of the shliach gabei. When it comes to the father, it's because you're used to being around the father. Rabbo disle imase. With regards to the teacher, it's because you're in awe of the teacher. But when it comes to the brother, Avel Achav de Lesle, Loha, Veloha, Emelo, Kamashmalan, Kim and the Kim Sharas, Midrabanan, Hebnurabanan, Bidrabanan. Essentially, when it, you might have thought that when it comes to the brothers, you're not always around the brother. You don't have this fear and awe of the brother. So maybe you're not believed to say that this is my brother's signature. Maybe you're not being so careful. No, the end, the end point is that no, because the whole concept of Kim Shtaros, of validating and verifying a halachic document is only required on a rabbinic level, on a biblical level, it's already viewed as a, a completely acceptable document as long as it has the right format and structure of a halachic document. Uh, so um, because requiring it is only on a rabbinic level, so therefore we'll be lenient to, to say that we'll believe somebody, even if they're testifying about the signatures which they saw as a minor, as a child. Okay, that's all case number one. Case number two. Let's move on to case number two. Zohra <laughs> A person is believed to say that uh, such and such a, a bride, uh, she had her hair uncovered, and therefore we know that she is a besula at the time that she got married. She was a virgin. Why is this? Why do we believe? Why do we believe this person? Uh, is this not a ramification on a biblical level? The answer is no. The Gemara explains that since the majority of women who get married are besulos, are uh, virgins. So therefore, when he tells us, tells us that uh, all signs of the fact that she was a virgin are found in this wedding, her hair was uncovered at the time of the wedding, so that's just revealing the facts because we already know. We already know that uh, she's a virgin. And so therefore, this is not a real concern, certainly not a concern on a biblical level. And so therefore, uh, this person would be believed to testify about something, what they saw at the wedding when they were a minor, under the age of 13. Next case. Says the Mishnah. The case here is where a person testifies about somebody else, their classmate essentially, that when they were children in school, he was in my class, this person was in my class, and I know that he's a Kohen because sometimes he would leave the class, he would leave school to go to the mikvah to become pure. He would go to the, to the mikvah to purify himself so that he could eat truma. So that seems to show that he's a, he's a Kohen. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, could it be that he's only a Kohen? Dilma Evan Kohen who? It's not just a Kohen who eats truma. Essentially, the 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 slaves, the non-Jewish slaves of Kohanim, they also eat the family the Kohen eats, the animals the Kohen eat, and also the non-Jewish slaves. They also eat from the truma. So you can't prove to me that uh, the fact that they eat truma, that they are Kohanim, no, maybe they're not Kohanim, maybe they're not the priests, but they're the slaves of Kohanim. So the answer is no, it could not have been the slaves of Kohanim. You want to know how I know? Because of Rabbi Shua ben Levi. We know that there's a prohibition. We've seen this elsewhere in the Gemara and Chagiga. The Torah is really something which was given specifically to the Jewish people. It's an inheritance that we received, that uh, this is ours. And so therefore there's a prohibition to teach non-Jews Torah. There's certain exceptions to these rules. What they can learn uh, certainly if they are on the path to conversion, so then there's more leniency. Uh, but uh, the Torah is something which is unique and special for the Jewish people. So you're not allowed to teach your non-Jewish slave. You can't teach non-Jews. You also can't teach your non-Jewish slave Torah. So the fact that this person was in school studying Torah, so clearly he's not a slave. So then when he goes ahead and he eats truma, so that's how he could prove that he's a Kohen. So says, is it really true that he, you're not allowed to teach him Torah? Hello? But we have the following brisa: Lava him in a in a case where the master borrows money from the slave. 
Osha, so Rabo, or if his master appoints him um, Apotropos, he appoints him an administrator over his property, over this, to, um, he appoints him, sorry, as, a, as an administrator. He appoints his slave as an administrator over his property to buy and to sell. All these are different signs which a person does when they are free, with a person that's free, not with a person who's a slave. Oh, Or he puts on tefillin. The slave puts on tefillin in front of the master. Or if it's a case where he read in public various psukim, various verses from the Torah, this, these are all not reasons to say that he's really free. He's doing acts which seem like it's acts of freedom, but he's not really free. Um, so we see, but the point is that we see that a slave could in fact read from the Torah. They could read from the Torah. So how is this allowed? I thought we just said that you're not allowed to teach Torah to a non-Jewish slave. So answers the Gemara. Over there, what he was doing, it wasn't in the context of us teaching him Torah. No, you're not allowed to teach him Torah. You can't teach the non-Jewish slave Torah. You can't teach the non-Jew Torah. Again, certain exceptions, if they're converting, perhaps, uh, so then we can teach them Torah. But over here, when we said that he was doing what he did, it wasn't that we taught him actively. We have a responsibility not to teach him Torah, but he did it on his own. If he did it on his own, that's his own decision. So he read it on his own, and uh, that was that. So he was allowed to just read it on his own. We just were commanded that we cannot teach him Torah. And that's basically that's basically what happened. And that's uh, what we follow. So in the end of the day, this person can be proved to be a Kohen because number one, he takes uh, off from school to go to the mikveh to eat truma. Number two is the fact that he's in school to begin with must be that he's not really a slave. It can't be that he's a slave because if he's really a slave, he wouldn't be able to go to school to study and to learn Torah from a teacher. Okay. One last case. Okay, this is a short one. Litvo lecho betruma. That uh, we testified that, the, the continuation of the last case, that he testified that he went to the mikvah to eat truma. The point here is that all these only have ramifications on a rabbinic level. Says the Gemara, betruma dirabanan. The only thing he's allowed to eat is only truma, which is on a rabbinic level. Anything which is on a biblical level, he is in fact not believed. A person would not be believed to testify as an adult about something which they saw when they were under the age of 13. As a minor, they're not believed. They're only believed for it to have rabbinic ramifications, but not for it to have um, uh, biblical derisa ramifications. Okay, we'll go through the rest of these cases and finish, conclude the th- the second parak, the second chapter of Ksubis in the next recording.